So we are continuing in Jonah today. Hands up if you relate to Jonah, if you can relate to Jonah a bit. There's a lot of us out there, I think. I love Jonah. In 2016, I was living my best life, guys. It was amazing. I was doing really well at work, having some great opportunities being presented to me. I was able to travel all over the place. And I had my sights set on becoming the CEO of a charity. I had a very driven chap at the time. And I'd moved to a new place, a place called Bletchley. And I hadn't been going to church that much on and off for a few years. But then I, when I got to Bletchley, found this amazing church, found a great bunch of friends, and things were going pretty well. And then it all changed. It all unraveled in the space of about a week. So I was there just minding my own business, relaxing. And someone came up to me and just dropped a bomb. Something you don't really want to hear. They said, hey, Luke, I've just got this sense that I wanted to ask you. Have you thought about being a vicar? Have you thought about going to ministry? I feel like you should, you should do that. I thought, oh, gosh, please, no. <laughs> the next day, I went to church. It was a Sunday. Someone came bounding up to me, big smile on their face. Hey, Luke, I had a dream about you last night. I was like, go on. Said, yeah, you were at the front of church. You were a vicar. You were preaching to us. I was like, no, 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 no. So I reached out to the curate. I said, can we go for a drink? I'd love to just process this with you. Desperately searching for him to tell me that they were just off on one. And he said, no, like, Luke, me and the vicar, we've been talking this week about who we can put forward for ordination. And I hate to tell you, mate, but your name's come up quite a lot. Now, I'm supposed to preach in two weeks. Why don't you do it instead? So, I don't know, I just felt sick in that moment. <laughs> just like this lurch in my stomach. And I remember being in the car on the way home. And it just dawning on me that this genuinely could be a possibility. Uh, and I just remember thinking, I need to get out of this place. <laughs> so, the fight or flight kicked in. And the next day at work, I decided to book a one-way flight to Australia. So Jonah is a book close to my heart, and it's a joy to be able to preach from it to you today. So we are in a vision series. We're thinking about being for the city, which is what Tom has brought to us. It comes from Jeremiah 29, to seek the prosperity of the city, where the Israelites are out in Babylon in exile, and they're called to be ambassadors for Christ, and they're called to set up these embassies of hope, and that's what we want to do here in Sheffield. And last week, Tom opened the book of Jonah, and he started in chapter one, and he was talking about God calling us into a divine reset to think again about what the Lord has called us to, the new thing that is happening here at St. Thomas Crooks. And we pick up the story this week with the final verse of chapter one, which honestly, it's got to be up there with the maddest verses in the whole Bible. Definitely top three. It says this, verse 17. Now the Lord provided a huge fish to swallow Jonah, and Jonah was in the belly of a fish for three days and three nights. I did not, that is a plot twist and a half, isn't it? A literal fish swallows a man who's been thrown off a boat. So if you don't know the story of Jonah, God calls him to go to this place called Nineveh to preach the word. And Jonah says, I don't want to go there. I'm going to go to Tarshish and on the way. He's on the boat. There's a big storm. God is angry with Jonah. Jonah gets thrown off the boat. He goes down, and then a huge fish swallows Jonah. And what I want to talk today 
to you about is the prayer that Jonah says in chapter 2, which is, follows this verse. And throughout his prayer, Jonah does two things. He recognizes the hopelessness of his current situation, and he recognizes the living hope found in God's character. And as the Lord calls us into a divine reset through the account of Jonah and the belly of the fish, I believe that what God wants to do for us today is remind us of his glorious character, slow to anger, gracious and compassionate, abounding in love, in spite of whatever it is that we might be facing. And that's individually, but also collectively. Because do you know what the good news is? That we worship a God who works in our most desperate moments. And as far as desperate moments go, Jonah is literally in the belly of a fish right now. And he's been there for three days. Has anyone got fish? Anyone got fish? So Tom Finnamore has some fish. Matt Stringer and Tommy on our campus team have got fish. It's all they talk about. It literally is their, hey mate, how's it going? How's the fish? How's the fish? It's hilarious. So anyone with fish, has anyone ever been swallowed by a fish? Okay, just checking. Can you imagine actually being swallowed by a fish? It's completely mad. So I don't know if anything like me, grew up in Sunday school, you, you're very familiar with the story. In my head, you can, I can start to believe that it actually looks a bit like this. Jonah in the belly of the whale. He's got lots of room. He's got a bit of a cave, maybe a candle or something. It would actually look a bit more like this. This is the inner workings of a big fish, okay? <laughs> So I was researching this, and people have really delved into this subject of could a man actually be swallowed by a fish or a whale? And I read this amazing account that says, well, if they're swallowed whole for a start, then this is what would happen. They would be in complete darkness. They would be in an extremely cramped environment. They'd be surrounded by stomach acid and digestive enzymes as well as partially digested food, which could lead to chemical burns and tissue damage. They would be in a space that is not designed for the flow of oxygen, which could make breathing difficult. And they would be suffering from severe pressure from the, the stomach muscles of the fish. And all of this combined to make conditions where you wouldn't be able to sleep as a human being. So that's pretty horrific, right? That's not ideal situation. It's extreme levels of physical torture. And as I was reading through this list, it was reminding me of stories that I've heard and read about refugees being smuggled across borders and accounts of the transatlantic slave trade, of these horrific physical conditions that humans can be put under. And I think to fully appreciate the context of Jonah's prayer that we're about to go into, we need to understand that Jonah was in a truly desperate situation. And I wonder this morning if there's anyone here who has been in a truly desperate situation. Uh, maybe you're in a truly desperate situation right now. A situation where it's, it's difficult to see how things could ever change. Where maybe you're just taking each hour one at a time. Where all you feel like you can do is cry out to the Lord. And this is where we pick up the story of Jonah in his tomb for three days and three nights, unsure of if he'll ever leave, but probably assuming he's going to die soon. So we read from chapter 2 in Jonah. 
First verse says, from the inside of the fish, Jonah prayed to the Lord his God. He said, in my distress, I called to the Lord and he answered me. From deep in the realm of the dead, I called for help and you listened to my cry. You hurled me into the depths, into the very heart of the seas and the currents swirled about me. All your waves and breakers swept over me. I said, I have been banished from your sight, yet I will look again towards your holy temple. The engulfing waters threatened me, the deep surrounded me. Seaweed was wrapped around my head. To the roots of the mountains I sank down. The earth beneath me barred me in forever. But you, Lord my God, brought my life up from the pit. When my life was ebbing away, I remembered you, Lord. And my prayer rose up to you in your holy temple. Those who cling to a worthless idols turn away from God's love for them. But I, with shouts of grateful praise, will sacrifice to you what I have vowed I will make good. I will say salvation comes from the Lord. And we get another mad verse here. And the Lord commanded the fish and it vomited Jonah onto dry land. Of course it did. It's absolutely crazy. <laughs> I want to highlight two aspects of this prayer, as I said before. Jonah does two things. He recognizes the hopelessness of his situation. And he recognizes the living hope found in God. In Jonah's prayer here, it takes the form of a psalm where he creates this kind of tapestry of phrases that we see scattered through the Psalms. Um, and it, it really paints this wonderful picture of his current situation and how he relates to God. So the hopelessness, you can read it all the way through this prayer. In my distress, I cried to the Lord. From deep in the realm of the dead, I called for help. I'm hurled into the depths. I'm surrounded by the deep. I've literally got seaweed wrapped around my head. The roots of the mountains are where I am. He's barred beneath the earth. There's a real sense of hopelessness of his current situation. But it's a very real prayer, isn't it? It's so raw and honest, and I think God loves that. I think he really loves that Jonah is bringing this to the Lord because he's not afraid of the mess. He's not afraid of the reality. Because Jonah, like, he is rock bottom right now. He's gone down to Joppa to see where he can run from God. He's gone down into the hull of the boat to hide. He's gone down over the side and down to the roots of the mountains. He is at the end of himself. And Tom was talking about the parallel between this story and the prodigal son narrative. And this is Jonah's younger son moment in the pigsty, feeding the pigs. How have I got here? And it's in that moment that he cries out to the Lord, expressing his hopelessness, but more importantly, expressing his hope in who God is. You, Lord, my God, you brought my life up from the pit. He says that when he's like at the bottom of his life. When my life was ebbing away, I remembered you and my prayer rose to your holy temple. Those who cling to worthless idols turn away from God's love for them, but I, with shouts of grateful praise, will sacrifice to you. What I have vowed I will make good. I will say salvation comes from the Lord. Now, what does this tell us about Jonah? And what does this tell us about ourselves? Well, I think this, this um, part of the story, it, it tells us something kind of crazy. I think that what Jonah is expressing is this twofold this parallel that he has nothing 
But at the same time, he has everything. That through his prayer, he's saying, I've got nothing, Lord, but in you I have everything. And I think that that kind of encapsulates the beauty of the gospel message, that salvation comes from the Lord. It does not come from our circumstance. In his most desperate moment, he finds meaning in the one who is outside of his circumstance. From deep in the realm of the dead, I called for help, and you listened to my cry, and I will look again to your holy temple. There's a man called Viktor Frankl, who you may have heard of. He wrote a book called Man's Search for Meaning. And Viktor Frankl, he uh, was a Jewish man who lived through World War II, and he spent three years in a concentration camp. Now, through his harrowing retelling of events, he observed something really fascinating. And he's a psychologist, and he observed that when everything is stripped away from a person, and in his context, that really means everything, you know, his, his family, his freedoms, his finances, his clothes, his name, even the hair on his head was taken away from him. But he says and he observes that the one thing that cannot be taken away from a human is the human's ability to choose. The free will, the agency of the human, which he argues enables us to find hope where there seems to be none there to be found. He puts it this way. He says, in a position of utter desolation, when one cannot express themselves in positive action, when their only achievement may consist in enduring their suffering in an honorable way, in such a position, through the loving contemplation of the image we carry of the beloved, can we achieve fulfillment. And I believe that this is the choice that Jonah finds himself making in the belly of the fish. And I think we can all relate to some degree about this concept of being in the belly of a fish. Battered and bruised by the storms of life, experiencing challenge, and feeling trapped. And there's that individual experience in the belly, that loneliness. But I wonder also this morning uh, if we want to think about this metaphor in a collective sense. As a church, are we in the belly of a fish? Is this divine reset that we're talking about have something to do with perhaps the circumstance that we feel like we find ourselves in? But what Jonah brings for us this morning is a prophetic, profound wisdom about how we can move forward from this position. He says these beautiful words, I will look again to your holy temple. With shouts of grateful praise, and I will say salvation comes from the Lord. And this is one of the reasons why we're prioritizing make room on a Wednesday. We're gathering centrally for a whole term instead of gathering in our homes to fix our eyes on the one who is bigger than our circumstance 
and we want to allow him to guide us. This Wednesday, we're aware the time doesn't work for everyone, so we're going to meet at 7 a.m. in the prayer shed. If you're an early bird, you can go around the side. The gate will be open. Or 12 o'clock, if that's a better time for you, you can meet us. We'll be here as well, as well as 8 p.m. So after I booked my flights to Australia, the inner wrestles began. It really kicked off after I booked those flights. I had this, my heart set on this career that I wanted, and I had this deep aversion to becoming a vicar that I've slowly been unpicking ever since. But I felt like it was something that I simply couldn't do, that I was not holy enough to do, that I'd made too many mistakes in my life, that it wouldn't be the right thing, it wouldn't be fair, that, that he should do it or she should do it, not me. My wife Hannah and I, we'd started dating at this time, and I remember there was one sunny afternoon where we were out having lunch, and Hannah was asking me, you know, about the whole vicar situation, I think trying to decide if she wanted to carry on seeing me or not. <laughs> and I began to start to vocalize some of these barriers that I just mentioned, you know, I don't feel good enough, I don't feel holy enough. And as I was going through them, Hannah was gently kind of coaching me and asking me those annoying questions like, what do you think Jesus would say about that? <laughs> what do you think the gospel says about that? And I was reminded there in that conversation as I was verbally processing, his grace is sufficient. That I'm not here to build my own empire or crown. But that we, we follow a God that says, lay your life down, take up your cross, and follow me. And I, I wasn't in the belly of a fish. You know, I, was, I was eating Thai food in Clapham. <laughs> it's a trivial example. <laughs> but I believe that God wants to invite us into a divine reset. And that moment for me, it was a seminal moment. It was a moment of clarity. It was a moment of reestablishing a kingdom perspective about something that the Lord was speaking to me about. It was a divine reset. And he wants us to have a divine reset today. That as we fix our eyes on Jesus, as we reflect on his eternal nature, his eternal presence, even when our life is ebbing away and we're, we're, we're close to death, as Jonah was, we can cast our eye to him and say that you are the God of salvation. That it's not about my circumstance, my agenda, my desires, my dreams. It's about the kingdom of God. But sometimes, that's really hard. And you hear someone like me with their middle-class accent say, just look at Jesus, man, you'll be fine. Because <laughs> this world is so broken. It's so full of pain. It's so full of trauma, mess, un unthinkable suffering. It's all around us, hurt, hate. And I know that so many of you are, you're right there in the midst of it. You're right in the wilderness. You're right in the belly of the fish. But I just felt like I needed to say this morning that you're so welcome here. 
that your pain is welcome here. That your questions and your doubts are welcome here. And your, your anger towards God is welcome here. Because when we come before the Lord, he wants us to bring our whole selves. And when we recognize where we are, where we're at, how we're really doing, and then we recognize who he is, that's the space where he comes. And he wraps his loving arms of grace around you. And he just holds you there. Like a loving father, he just says, I'm right here. I'm right here. And I think that's what he wants to do this morning for some of us. Eugene Peterson puts it beautifully in his adaptation of the Bible called The Message. In 2 Corinthians chapter 4, 16 to 18, he puts it this way. He says, we are not giving up. How could we? Even though on the outside it often looks like things are falling apart. On the inside, where God is making new life, not a day goes by without his unfolding grace. And these hard times, they pale in comparison to the coming good times and the lavish celebration that's prepared for us. And there's far more here than meets the eye. The things we see now, they're here today, they're gone tomorrow. But the things we can't see now will last forever. So friends, our freedom is not found in our circumstance. Our freedom is found in Christ. Christ.